invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. So in the New Testament, find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then Romans, and then we get 1 and 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we are going to read, actually I'm going to read the whole chapter um, all the way through uh, verse 18. The Apostle Paul's writing to this uh, this church of, of Christians in the city of, of Corinth, and this is what he writes. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this, this ministry, and the, the word there is service, this ministry of service. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry of service, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. See, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So over the next three Sundays... Uh, we are going to look at three things about what it means to be truly human. 
over my sabbatical, I, I did some reading on that. What does it mean to be a human being, a truly human being? Um, wrote a long paper on that for uh, one of the courses that I'm that I, that I'm well that I've finished. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Um, and you might think, isn't that, that that sounds like a strange thing to talk about? I mean, don't we know what it means to be a human being? I mean, we you know, we kind of are that. We're not a dog. We're not a cat. We're not a giraffe. Or I'm not. We're not. Um, I'm a human being. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to present a couple of um, thoughts about what it means to be a human being. And one uh, is a page that's just been taken out of history um, throughout the centuries. And one is being taken from a person, Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that. Um, and in your notes, you can see kind of an outline of this sermon. We're going to talk about a, a materialistic view of being human, a Christian view of being human, what it means, and what gives you the power to do that. So let's, let's go through this, through this, the materialistic view of being human. Being human is determined by our bodies. This and this is the, the page that has been taken out of human history for centuries. What does it mean to be human? It means, means uh, our, our fleshly bodies and um, even, uh, even our, our strengths and, and what we can bring to the table um, to contribute to society. A materialistic view of what it means to be human is that you are a compilation of your body parts and, and then um, what's in you, okay? Um, that, that seems, uh, if it does seem like it might be a short-sighted answer, well, it, well, it is, uh, about being human. That is a short-sighted answer, um, that we're just kind of our, our, our body parts, um, or even our strengths that we bring to the table. Uh, we know that we have... At least the typical person has two legs, two arms, a torso, a head with a brain that is capable of complex thoughts. But we know it is more than just our, our, our bodies that makes us human, don't we? We know that if a person were to, to lose an appendage or not be born with an appendage, that doesn't make them any less human. Similarly, if someone were to um, have memory issues or a brain injury or something, and, and, and um, we might say that that person isn't quite him or herself, how he or she used to be, but we wouldn't say they're any less human. One of the places that I went to on my sabbatical was uh, Washington, D.C. at a conference there. I went to the Holocaust Museum there. Um, every exhibit was striking at the Holocaust Museum. One exhibit that I didn't expect uh, was the one that explained the depth of the, the Nazi euthanasia program, not for, not for Jews among them, but for Germans themselves, um, in order to try to achieve what they believed to be a perfect human race. The Nazis had euthanized nearly a quarter of a million Germans with mental disabilities, 
um, with physical disabilities, the aged, um, and uh, infirmed um, were viewed to be subhuman, and they were euthanized. Nearly a quarter of a million Germans themselves. Why? Well, they they weren't seen as truly human. They were subhuman to the Nazis. And we we think of that, and we we think, well, that's 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 clearly wrong. So we recognize that being human is more than just having a well-functioning physical bodies or even even, even our, our mental capacities. That's not what makes us truly human. On the other hand, people have often acted like their, human, their humanity is, uh, throughout history, is very much captured by their bodies and their capabilities, advanced medicine today, advanced medicine technology, including artificial intelligence, uh, it's making the longevity of human life a, a real pursuit. You know, a massive amount of money every year is spent in prolonging our, our, the, the livelihood of our bodies. Is that a bad thing? Of course it's not. We, 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 we like human bodies that are healthy and last a long time. But every year, a massive amount of money is spent. Consider this. Worldwide, people spend, uh, last year alone, uh, people spent $4.4 billion on uh, Botox treatments just last year, which was over three times as much as two years prior to that was spent. So a three-time increase in amount spent on Botox treatments. Now, Botox treatments, they're great. If you get Botox treatments, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a great thing. If you get your hair colored, if you get your gray beard covered, colored, that's, that's, a, that's a fine thing. That, that's, that's a okay. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to exercise and, and live a healthy lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that. Undoubtedly, we as a society go to, to great lengths to preserve our health, to even look younger and feel younger. But when the reason that we do that is to avoid dying for as long as possible, as is the primary goal for many people, it shows a real rejection of a basic truth of all human life, and that is you are going to die sooner or later. It is unavoidable. It is the one thing that every single person gets to do, and that is to die. So as human beings, is our fundamental pursuit really to be as fulfilled as, long, to be as, fulfilled as you can for as long as you, as you can? Is that really the, the fundamental pursuit for being a human being, to be as fulfilled as you can for as long as you can? So let's look at 2 Corinthians. Later in, in this letter that Paul writes to these Christians, Paul refers to uh, certain people that he refers to as the super apostles. Uh, who, and these super apostles were, were claiming to the Corinthian Christians that they were superior to Paul. They were claiming that Paul's ministry was a failure. Uh, they were claiming that Paul wasn't a persuasive preacher. He wasn't a good speaker. They were saying that the church that Paul, the churches that 
Paul were building, they weren't growing very well, uh, that Paul couldn't really be trusted as a key leader of the church. These super apostles, apparently, uh, were, were well-trained speakers who could charge lots of money for their speaking. They would travel from place to place and, and have these collections just for their, their preaching and teaching and speeching, uh, speaking. Um, and their message was um, uh, this is the way to be an apostle, Paul. This is the way to be a church leader, be successful like this. The message was if you work harder, do more, become more skillful, you can build up this church, be a better preacher, you can have this better life. You can at least make the most out of your own life, Paul, because you're not doing that. So there's always people that we can compare ourselves with. And maybe you have felt or feel like you are several steps beyond where you could have been in life or that you could be in life, you should be in life. You know, maybe you saw... Or I've seen people make great business decisions, just stumble upon the right opportunities and missed out. And you think, wow, that, that could have been me. That should have been me. I don't know why that doesn't happen to me, kind of catching on those good deals. Or, or maybe your marriage is just tough and your parenting is even tougher. And you look at other families that seem to just be... Um, going through a smoother time, and you thought, ah, oh, that should be me over there. What's wrong with me? And you, and you think, I just don't seem to be making the most of me. I don't seem to be making the most of myself like other people that I know. And I wish I could be more like them and less like me. Now, the message here is not uh, that you shouldn't try your best. You shouldn't gain skills and proficiency. That, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am going to suggest is if that is how we measure our humanity, that we're improving ourselves, that we're growing in our usefulness, uh, we're missing out on the essence of being truly human. Uh, Paul resists comparing himself to these super apostles that are attacking him. He resists thinking, you know, boy, they speak more than I do. They travel more. They win more converts. Paul resists because he knows there is something different. There's something more than that about being truly human. So I want to suggest something to you this morning, and it's this. Being truly human does not mean to make the most of yourself. And throughout centuries, that has been the model, to make the most of yourself. That is not what it means to be truly human. In fact, it could mean, as we look through the rest of what Paul writes, it could mean make the least of yourself. So let's look at an alternate view of being human. It's the the Christian view. Uh, Being human is determined by Christ. Uh, How does Jesus determine for us, what it means to be human. You know, if I were to ask you, what was Jesus's purpose for becoming a human being, being born as a human being, taking on human flesh, 
fair to ask you that. You might say, well, that's easy. Jesus paid the, the debt on the cross that we owe to God because of our sins. Is that why Jesus took on human flesh, so that he could pay the debt on the cross that we owe to God because of our sins? Well, it's certainly part of that, but that's not, that, that's not the full answer. Jesus took on human flesh so that he could be the true human being for us, and then he invites us to live in him, to take his ways as our ways, so that we can be truly human. So one of the things that Paul writes about Jesus is that Jesus is the last Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, Paul writes, the first man, Adam, the one that God placed in the Garden of Eden, the one we read about in Genesis, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, and he's referring to Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. You might read that and think, well, you know, we've received eternal life as Jesus has paid the price for our sins on the cross, correct? Yes, yes, that is true. But we don't think through Jesus being this last Adam quite, quite enough. So let me read what Paul writes a few verses later. He writes in verse 49, And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, referring to Adam in the garden of Eden, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, referring to Jesus, and don't think that heavenly man means just some purely spiritual being, you know, just kind of see-through person. It's just that Paul is, is contrasting. He's making a contrast. The, the image of a human being, as seen in Jesus, is so different than the image of being human as seen as, as in, in Adam. In Adam, the, 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 the first man from Genesis. So, what is Christ's image? So shall we bear the image of Christ. What is Christ's image that we will bear? Love? Self-sacrifice? And dying to his self. That's the image of Christ. That's what it means to be truly human. It means not living for yourself. That's true Christ-likeness, to die to self. That's why Paul writes in verse 2 of what we read earlier, we do not use deception. We do not distort the word of God. Why do you think Paul write that? Well, because there were others, these super apostles, that were distorting the word of God. (laughs) The super apostles were were likely emphasizing the law, trying to make the, the Christian life easier. Making about the law, obedience to the law, the letter of the law. That makes things rather easy. As long as you you, you stay true to the letter of the law, you know what you need to do, do these things, check off these these things on the list. As long as you stay true to the letter of the law, do it with your ability, then you can shape the rest of your life however you would see fit. And, And Paul says, no, 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 that's a distortion of the word of God. And we're not going to hide the hard parts. 
the challenging parts. Paul says in verse 10, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's what he writes. And then he mentions death two other times. Did you notice that in verses 11 and 12? Verse verse 11, he says, we are being given over to death for Jesus' sake. The next verse, death is at work in us. Paul is is identifying the ministry of a Christian uh, with with physical and emotional pain and, and, and death even. When I was on on, on the sabbatical, I, I uh, you know, worshipped at different churches and went up in town and and had uh, communion. One of the one of the churches I was at, and we went down for for the Lord's supper and took off bread, dipped it in the the juice, you know, and ate it, and returned to my seat, and um, I had this powerful thought as I was walking back to my seat. It was this, I have taken in the death of Christ into my body. I I, I have in me the Christ who died for me, who chose to die for me. The death of Christ is in my body. So think about this. One one of the terms that Christians use to describe growing as a Christian is Christ-likeness. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? So what is real Christ-likeness? Real Christ-likeness is dying to self. And Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So that's, that's carrying around in our body the death of Christ, being willing to die to self, to have this new life that Jesus hands you. So, back to the materialistic view of being human, where we can spend so much of our time and effort to prolong our life, protect our life, preserve the life that we want to be as fulfilled as we can for as long as we can. And then we can identify that with being human. And Jesus gives us this completely different picture of being human. And it is to die to self. So what does that mean? So let's pick it up in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul writes. We have this treasure in jars of clay for the purpose of. There's this, it's not seen in in that English sentence there, but there's this, this intentional Greek purpose clause for the purpose of showing that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, God intentionally works through our brokenness. It isn't that God says, well, if I, if I only had some really strong Christians to work through, you know, people who really have their act all together, then I could really go about making this world a better place. That's not what God says. No, God deliberately chooses jars of clay to reveal this treasure. And just in case you haven't figured it out, the jars of clay, that's us. You are a jar of clay. So God does whatever he does through us, through jars of clay, and a point is being made. 
Paul's making a point. We are breakable. We're breakable. But, but Paul says we won't be ruined. And he goes on, look at verses 8 and 9, if you have your Bible in front of you. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. There's this, this tension. It's pressing in on us. But we're not crushed. I mean, you might get cracked, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It won't be easy. Paul is saying. See, he's not distorting the Word of God, is he? It won't be easy. I thought of three words that you can write down. You can count on these three things in following Jesus. Write these words down. Sacrifice, serving, and suffering. Let's talk about those three words. Sacrifice, serving, suffering. Sacrifice. Paul says in verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So we have, we have Christ's sacrificial death in us. He sacrificed himself for us, his life, so that we could have life. It's reading a commentary on, on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, and the writer just, just put this really well. He suggested different ways that Christians sacrifice. And this is what he wrote. A Christian employee, maybe you'll identify. Maybe one of these will be like, yeah, that, I've, I've been through that. A Christian employee is passed over for promotion or is dismissed because he or she is a godly person who will not bend the rules. A missionary doctor loses her place in the structures of that profession because she has spent 10 years in an out-of-the-way hospital? Or a pastor and his family pass up the security of their own home in obeying the call of God to serve now here, now there? And then the commentator says, or said, while there are great compensations, all ministry is costly. There's a sacrifice in following Christ. And maybe you can identify with just the cost of being a Christian and and serving, having this ministry of serving, being in conflict sometimes with others. Misunderstandings can happen. Using your own personal income to fund the, the ministry that you're a part of. Some very generous people in this church just take on a ministry and they fund it themselves. Setting uh, ministry over other things in your life for, for, for a time in your life. There's sacrifice. And serving. We can count on serving if we're following Christ. And here's a thought. A servant thought for you. You cannot both prop yourself up and prop Jesus up. You can't do both. You can prop yourself up. You can prop Jesus up, but but you don't do both of those. Carrying Christ's death in you means that you aren't concerned with your personal recognition. Uh, you're not concerned with personal applause or acclaim. Uh, uh, think about this. A real servant is never meant to be the center of attention. 
something else is supposed to be the center of, of attention, correct? At a restaurant, you're, you're at a nice restaurant, you're ordering a nice dinner, a, a steak, you know, a, a filet cut, medium rare, served on a, what, a 700-degree plate or something like that. What's the, how's that steakhouse do it? So that's what's coming out. That's what you're looking forward to. You're not looking forward to the server coming back out, and, and it would be wrong for him or her to, to say, hey, I'm back. Oh, here's this, by the way, but let, let me sit down and talk with you for a while. That's not what you're there for. There's, there's the, the servant isn't the center of attention. The servant is bringing out, is bearing what is the center of attention. And serving others is, is about showing Jesus to them. He's the star. Not you. So sacrifice and serving and then suffering. God uses suffering to reveal um, an important truth to us. And it's this. Your strength is hidden in weakness, in your weakness. Your strength is hidden in your brokenness. Your strength is hidden, and when you get all cracked up, uh, there's a there's a form of Japanese art, kintsugi. I'm going to show you some images of kintsugi. It's taking um, broken pieces of pottery, sometimes break, actually breaking the pottery, and then using uh, this gold lacquer to to put it back together. See that? How beautiful that is? It's this, this beautiful art form of taking what is broken and then, and then putting it back together in a way that is absolutely beautiful. And in God's hands, there is beauty in brokenness. But it's in God's hands where that beauty comes from. God is the one who mends us. God is the one who shines through us. That is being a true human, a person who has fully yielded his life, her life to God, to be used by God, to show God's greatness and glory and beauty and and suffering is is the cracking or the breaking of the the, the, the pottery. And through suffering, that doesn't always happen like this, but through suffering, we, 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 can, we can run to God. Suffering can be that, that pathway that we, that we use to run to God and, and cling to Him and to, to be held in His hands and for Him to create that, just that, that, that beautiful piece of art when we're broken and then serve His purposes for for his glory. So maybe you've suffered. Maybe you've suffered as you've served God and you've served others. Maybe you've suffered. Perhaps not to the degree, maybe, that you would describe it's, it's been a breaking point where you've just, just collapsed, but maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe you haven't been beaten and imprisoned like 
Paul writes about later in this letter. Shipwrecked. Paul writes about his literal shipwreck. Maybe you haven't experienced a literal shipwrecked, shipwreck like Paul did, but maybe you have felt wrecked. You've been wrecked. Maybe, as verse 8 says in our passage, you're, you're perplexed. Gosh, God, I'm perplexed. I, maybe you've had some sleepless nights because your, your mind was just so perplexed and consumed and confused, and, and every, every, you try to think about, okay, what's going to happen here? What, what are the possible outcomes? And none of those possible outcomes sound like a good one to you. Maybe you've been through just this intense time of conflict, and you're thinking, yeah, this isn't worth it at all. I want to quit. I want to quit. I don't have it in me to do this. Maybe you've been there, and you're serving. But being human is not what we expect it to be. We think it is, we think it's, it's building up strength, and that's what being human is. And Jesus shows us that being human is actually, being human is frailty in the hands of God. That is being human. So what gives us the power to do this? Because that doesn't necessarily seem like something I want to sign up for. You you may have heard the stories of of Christian martyrs centuries ago, or even today in other parts of the world. Think of those Christian martyrs from the first several centuries that were given a choice. Renounce your faith in Christ as Lord. Confess Caesar as Lord. That's all you need to do. You just need to make that confession. Confess Caesar as Lord, and you will escape the the punishment. You will escape being thrown to the lions. You'll be escape. You'll escape being tied to a stake and set on fire. You'll escape death. All you have to do is just say a few words. But but these martyrs, they were bold, and they carried the death of Christ in their bodies. Well, what gave them the power to do that? So let's look at what Paul writes in verse 14. Here's the power. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from death will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. We know this. We know this resurrection is going to happen. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to us. So the the power to be truly human, to, to take our frailty, Give it to God and say, God, it's in your hands. My frailty, my brokenness, it's in your hands. You do with it what you would like, what's going to give you glory. The power to do that is hope in the resurrection. The power to be truly human, hope in the resurrection. They knew, we know as we read the Scriptures and trust in Christ, I'm going to rise. There is a weight of glory that's going to come. Paul, look at verse 17. Paul says, our light and our momentary troubles. Think about that. And this, you know, the, the, just the pressed in on, the perplexed and torn down. The light and momentary troubles, Paul writes, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, or more exactly, is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. 
So Paul doesn't downplay the difficulties in our world. He says, I've been through them all, I've been beaten, I've been thrown in jail, close to death, been literally shipwrecked, snake-bitten. It's all happened to Paul. But he says there is a weight of glory that is to come. Why, why did Paul call it a weight of glory? Why not just there's this glory to come, this weight of glory? Because this weight has, it's, it's real. It's, it, it dislocates things because of the weight of it. It dislodges other worries from our minds because of the weight of this glory. When we say something is heavy on our hearts, what are we saying? We, we mean we're moved by it. It occupies our hearts. Paul is saying this real glorious world that's not quite here yet, it should occupy our minds and our hearts, our beings, because of its weight. So the world to come is not some thin, ethereal, phantom world of spirit. There's weight. There's solid reality to it. We will continue to be very and truly human there. We will experience deep, real, weighty joys there and experiences there in this world to come. And that is why we can die to ourselves now. Because the weight of what is to come is so much more real and weighty than the troubles that we go through now. And so we can carry the death of Christ in us and live that out in how we serve, and how we serve others because of that weight of glory that is ours, that is to come. So a couple of questions just for you to reflect on. If you have been serving in ministry, serving God, serving others, and thought, boy, I'm just weary, and I feel beaten up, take heart. Take heart. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. If you haven't embraced handing your life over to God, and you may think, hey, everything in my life is going great. Or you may feel like, God, I'm just handing you some pieces here. Here's just the pieces. If you haven't embraced handing your life over to God and dying to self and saying, my life is now yours, you can do that. Because God has promised an eternal weight of glory, and it's yours, and it lasts forever, and it's real. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you took on human flesh and you were willing to die for us. And in dying for us, you've shown us how we can live, and that is to die to ourselves, to live for you, to serve others, to come to you with brokenness and broken hearts and broken lives and broken minds, and not have any agenda other than handing it to you and trusting you. 
and to die to self. And know that you will, as we do that, as we take your death inside of us and live that out, you use that to bring life to others. That there are others around us as we're serving them, that you bring life to them through us. That you show them who you are and your love. You do that through us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're the God of the living. You're the God of life and resurrection and hope. And just make this a sacred time now as we commit our lives to you again or maybe for the first time. And and, and may the reality of resurrection, this life to come, this world to come, this weight of glory, may it really be in our minds and our hearts and take over our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.